Um, So we are in Romans chapter 3. If you want to start making your way over to Romans chapter 3, it is in the back third of your Bible. If you want to start making your way there, we are going to take a whole year and we're going to go through the book of Romans. Um, Romans is the uh, at Mount Everest of theology. It is some of the most rich and deep book that we have in all of the scripture. There are things that you believe. There are things that how you function if you are a follower of Christ that are directly lifted out of the book of Romans. For the last 2,000 years, scholar after scholar says Romans is probably one of the most significant books that we have in all of the gospel or all of the Bible, all of the scriptures. And why is that? Because it's the clearest place that we get an understanding of what it means to be brought back home, that where we get a picture of what it means to have a relationship with Christ, where our sin, shame, and condemnation goes to death once and for all at the cross of Jesus. And we said week one, the gospel then is not just the entrance for new believers into the Christian faith. Surely that is not true, that the gospel is not the diving board into the pool of the Christian faith. It is the whole swimming pool. It is the whole thing. That, the gospel is just central for us. We said, uh, if you have a well and you want to get the best well water from the well, you don't dig the well out, you, you dig the well deep. And Romans is just that. It's the deep dive about the centrality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we are taking a whole year to dive through that. And so there are a lot of different images and pictures that help us understand scripture. Um, Certainly we understand God as father. That's a very helpful image for us as we um, know what it means to be sons and daughters. We've talked about that God is king, and that's a helpful image for us. I would suggest that as we go through the book of Romans, that the be- probably one of the best images that we could have is that there's a conversation going on. And this conversation is between uh, us and Paul. And we're sitting face to face with Paul. And Paul is making his argument over and over and over again. And what Paul is telling us is that apart from Jesus Christ, we don't possess a righteousness on our own. And we're like this. No, 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 Paul. But you don't understand. I believe the Ten Commandments. I mean, I go to church. I even serve in the children's ministry. I do all of the things. And Paul, time and time again, is coming back to us and he's saying, apart from Jesus, that's all, it's all rubbish, y'all. It, it, it's, it's meaningless. You can never buy your way into a right relationship with Jesus. And Paul calls this the doctrine of justification by faith. And for the, if you've been here the last three weeks or so, y'all, it's felt like body blows. Just one after the other. Paul has been kind of hammering, hammering us and having a real like, oh, we're going to talk about this today. We're going to set this thing straight. And he's letting us know that apart from, the mess, apart from Jesus Christ, I'm not okay. <laughs> I'm not in a good position. I'm not a good person. I don't have anything redeemable in me other than him. And he's making this argument week after week after week. We've been talking about this. And if the Bible ended at Romans 3 verse 20, it would be a dark day for all of us, y'all. But thank God today we're going to make the turn. And we're going to talk about 
something beautiful and hopeful and an invitation, I believe, for, for all of us. And so I want to show you just eight verses that we're going to be covering this morning. And uh, everything I've been reading and studying and listening to, um, many of the people make the argument that says, well, listen, if you can get these eight verses, then you get the, you get the breadth of the whole Bible. It's that significant. Or you could say it this way. If you don't grasp these eight verses, then you miss the whole, you miss the whole story. And so what Paul is going to be uh, diving us in, diving into this morning is how do we come into a right relationship with Jesus Christ? He's going to, and we're going to walk through this doctrine that Paul um, uh, just lays as the foundation, and that is justification by faith. And so listen, I love to come up here. To, I grew up in Young Life, and so um, Young Life, they have this phrase that says, listen, it's a sin to bore the kids with the gospel. The gospel is alive, and it is fun, and it is life-giving, and every time we preach or stand up before kids, it should be fun because they're hearing how they're, how they're actually made, and I love to do that uh, on Sunday mornings, and this morning, I'm going to say yes to that, and I'm also going to say, y'all, today's going to be very technical, uh, I don't have a whole, whole, whole lot of stories for us this morning. Paul is going to invite us to do a, a deep dive of just the process of what it looks like for us to come into a relationship with Christ. And I want to tell you this morning that in the details, there's life. There's just life found. And so it's going to be important for us to wrestle with some of those details this morning. All right. And so if you're visiting with us uh, this morning, we say the Shema on Sunday mornings. It simply means to hear or to listen. Listen, every family has weird family quirks about them. And so if you're here this morning, this is one of the maybe weird, funny quirks uh, about this family, about this house. Um, Shema simply means to listen. Uh, It's a declaration that is found in the Older Testament and something that Jesus would have said multiple, multiple times a day, morning, noon, and night. Uh, and so we say it to be like him because we think it's powerful. Um, it's a powerful declaration to have the words of Jesus in our mouth. And so we say just the first couple of lines in Hebrew, that's the language that Jesus would have known it in. And so if that's weird, uh, don't let it be. Um, what we're actually saying are the, are, are the English translations, just the next uh, sentences. And so there's the translation for us. And so oftentimes you'll see people raise a pinky and that's because we're very forgetful people and we needed to be reminded. And all throughout the Older Testament, there is this picture of the hand of God or the finger of God. And that was to show us that there's enough power in God's smallest finger to transform the world and our lives. And you will see this morning, it's an invitation for dead things to come alive. And so I'm going to invite you to stand as we say the Shema and uh, prepare ourselves to receive God's words. Let's say the Shema together. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Kav. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. And so, God, as we open your word together this morning, God, may it read us as we read it, God. Our prayer is always, God, may we see things we've never seen before so we can do things we've never done before. God, we give you full permission to have your way this morning. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. 
All right, brothers and sisters. So now remember the, what Paul is going to be arguing for us this morning is this idea of justification by faith. Or what does it mean to be uh, in right relationship with Jesus? And so Romans chapter 3, um, the verse, we're going to start in verse 21 and we're going to break it up. We're going to go just a couple of short verses this morning. Now, excuse me, there is a big, big butt right here. So there's, and this is where, don't do it, don't do it. But this is where the hinge of the gospel, or the gospel, the book of Romans hinges on. There's a big old butt there for us. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been known. So everything from this point on, what, is, what Paul is going to be arguing is saying that there is a righteousness that is coming to you that is apart from um, your ability to keep the Ten Commandments. It is not going to be this righteousness that is going to be bestowed upon us is not going to be on your own merit or your ability to perform or your ability to measure up. The law of God is a ladder that none of us can climb. And so what happens and what Paul is going to be arguing is since we could never attain him, he's going to come down and attain us. And that is good news for us this morning. So everything from this point on is going to point to a righteousness apart from your performance, um, uh, apart from your own merit. It says this, has been made known. Paul is going to say, we didn't go looking for this righteousness. It actually came looking for you. This is not something that we would have chosen on our own, but it came and chose us. We didn't happen to just stumble upon it. It was purposeful in coming to us and searching and finding us. Now, if you're a Jewish reader, uh, and remember, the book of Romans is written to Jews and Gentiles, Jewish Christians. If you're a Jew at this time, this is scandalous, y'all. This is this is a this feels like a just a well, you have flipped the script on us. What are you talking about? God, you gave us the Ten Commandments and you said, do these things and you shall live. And now you're telling me that there is a righteousness apart from my ability to keep the Ten Commandments. What in the, Paul, what are you doing? You're making, you're just making things up. It's like you're making things up. And Paul is going to say, exactly, exactly. That's exactly what we're talking about here. And if the Jew would say this next, well, if this righteousness is going to come to us from somewhere outside of the Ten Commandments, where is it going to come from? And so let's keep going. Uh, uh, the backside of verse 21, that's exactly right. It says, but now apart from the righteousness of God, it has been known to which the laws and the prophets have test has testified about. In other words, God gave us these Ten Commandments as these railroads that point to a beautiful and holy God. It was never designed for us to look at it and say, I got it. I can do these things. I, I can, on my own merit, my own strength, my own performance, I'm going to be able to walk out the faithfulness of all, not just 10 commandments, 613 commandments actually, perfectly. No, the law was given to show us a holy God and just who we are, that we are needing something from outside of ourselves to come and get us. 
Because apart from the righteousness of Jesus, we could never attain God. And so look at verse 22 says, it says, this righteousness is given, this is crucial, through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. How is this righteousness going to be given to us? Through faith. Through faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. That this righteousness is not on your own morality or your performance or your ability to obtain something. It's going to be given through faith. And faith is what happens. Uh, uh, We would call this act of uh, faith, trust, that we are trusting in Jesus. And faith is really when you are bankrupt, that when you look at your life and you have bet everything on yourself and you come up short and you're like, listen, I am bankrupt apart from Jesus. I cannot count on myself. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take all of the me-centered, me-focused, I've got this, I can be in control, I'm smart enough to manage this, to navigate this, to plan enough, to, to do all these things, and I'm going to take all of that reliance on myself, and I'm going to trust it and put it on somebody else, because I can't do it, I can't do it on my own. It's by faith that we take this act, this, this act of trusting in ourselves and placing it on another. And I want you to see what happens that this righteousness comes to us by faith and not by works. Um, This is one of the most crucial parts of the argument that Paul is making. If it comes to us by um, our own merit, our own ability to measure up, y'all, it's the Thunderdome. It's every man for himself. It is survival of the fittest. It's I'm looking around at everybody else and I'm comparing myself to everybody else. If it is based off of my own ability to be righteous and to keep the law, it is survival of the fittest. Well, I'm not as bad as them, but I'm certainly better than them. And it's this way that we would have to measure ourselves up. It's what Paul talks about in here. Maybe maybe the Jews are better than the Gentiles because the law was given to the Jews. And so the Gentiles are down here. But thank God for verse 23. Thank God for verse 23. This is one of those verses that, all of us should know because it, le- it levels the playing field for everybody. Look at verse 23 says. Go to the next slide. It says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no difference between Jews and gen- Gentiles. Careful of what it says. Some have sinned. No. All of us. Every single one of us in here has missed the mark. And what that does for us, it levels the playing field so that now, because it's not about your works or your performance, the playing field, the, the ground at the cross is all level. And now anybody can be saved. Anybody can come into right relationship with Jesus because it's not based on us and our ability to achieve. So uh, last week, uh, Mackie did an okay job. <laughs> he, he was really great last week. I love him. He's, he's, he's super fun. Um, but I live streamed it in, and I was in Honduras last weekend. And it was, uh, oh man, y'all, it's going to be powerful. I can't wait for you guys to go at some point. And I'm just praying that Riverside over the next two or three years sends its first full-time 
missionary to Honduras. It was powerful. The organization that we are going to partner with there is beautiful. And maybe that's you in this room. And so I'm excited about Honduras. And when we were praying and walking through the streets um, of Honduras, the poverty is, it's, it's devastating. Things that you would never want to see. And if it's, it, the tension is, this is so hard for us, particularly as Americans, to walk in to this just, it, it's humbling. And let me be real honest. If, the, if it's about our own merit and about our own ability to achieve and to perform and to measure up, no way would anybody uh, in the Bordeaux in Honduras would ever have access to the gospel. But at the cross, the ground is level. And there is a beauty there that the gospel has taken root right smack dab in some of the most hard, darkest, poverty-stricken areas. And they have, let me be honest, I walk, we, walk, we walk in and it's like, oh my gosh, it's humbling to see this type of faith. It's humbling to see these kids become so alive it's because it's not based on where you come from. It's not based on what you have or what you don't have. At the cross, the ground is level for all of us because it's not about you. That is the beauty of the, of the, of the gospel. It is just utterly powerful. Now, if that is what is in front of us, Paul is going to um, give us some technical stuff right here. He's going to be very detailed that if the righteousness of God is not in our ability to maintain the law or to our performance, Paul is going to now walk us through in a very practical way how you and I come into a right relationship with Christ. Um, oftentimes the church says things like, believe in Jesus, put your trust in Jesus. And so Paul is going to say, okay, let me show you what this actually looks like. So this is a deep dive right here into what that process of coming into relationship with Christ looks like. Let's look at verse 24. It says this, and all are justified. Okay, so let's pause. Um, right now, Paul, these are maybe some words that you've heard maybe growing up around church before. We're going to de uh, define some words for it. I'm going to save you $30,000 in a seminary degree this morning. That's what I'm going to do. So we're going to define some key words for us this morning. And the first word that we need to define is what does it mean to be justified? This is the first thing that happens when you and I come into right relationship with Christ. It is, we become justified. So what is justification? In a legal term, in a legal sense, it would be like if you did the unthinkable, you murdered somebody and there's blood on your hands. The evidence is clear. They have captured you. There is no doubt about it. You are guilty. They bring you into the courtroom. They deliberate. All of the evidence is presented. You know it. They know it. Everybody knows you are guilty. And the verdict is about to come back. And the judge stands up and issues you a pardon. He forgives this horrendous thing that you have done. That, friends, is what we call forgiveness. That's the first part of what it means to be justified. The first part of justification is that you are forgiven, that you have received a pardon. But catch this part. You're still guilty. 
but you're just not held accountable for it. Does that make sense? So that is what forgiveness is. You're still guilty, but you're not held accountable for your actions. That's half of justification. The other half of justification, go to the next slide, is for, it, justification takes it a step farther. It's not just about forgiveness, but it's about righteousness. Now, what is righteousness? Okay, so we want to be clear about what that is. Righteousness is different than forgiveness because if forgiveness is just about receiving a pardon, righteousness is like it never even happened. There's no stain. God is like, wait, what are you, what are you talking about? I don't, I don't see anything. Like, where, where, where's your sin? I don't know what you're talking about. Where's your sin? That when God... Um, we come into this relationship. It's not that we just get a pardoned, but that God declares us innocent and righteous before him. When you combine these things, that is the idea of justification. Now, how often do you hear the Christian message being presented as, man, it's so good. You're going to, Christians are just forgiven people, which is right, which is beautiful, which is part of the equation. But how often do we talk about, no, now when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his own son living inside of you. It says in the scripture that it is no longer Christ that lives, or no longer me that lives, but that Christ lives in me, right? So now when Christ looks at me, he sees the perfect obedience of his son, a holy and blameless person. This is what we talk about here on Sundays. We are not bad people becoming good. We are dead things being brought back to life. And you are declared righteous and acceptable for God. He's like, what are you talking about? I don't even see it anymore. And how many of us grew up with only half of the equation? I certainly did. It's uncomfortable to think about now that when God looks at me, he sees the perfect obedience of his son, Jesus Christ, living in me. Now, does that get you out of bed in a different way than just being forgiven? Certainly. When you come face to face with the reality of the patterns of your sin still, man, it changes the way you, no, 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 I'm the righteousness of God. He is living inside of me. It's a different way that we understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus, not just forgiven, but declared righteous and blameless before God. It's powerful, powerful stuff. Keep going. Let's look at verse 24. How is that even possible? Because I know me. I know where I was headed. Verse 23 is really clear. All of us have blown it. All of us have missed the mark. And so now let's look at verse 24 about how is that even possible? It says this, freely by the grace through the redemption that came by Christ. It is received as a gift. It has nothing to do with you. Justification is not what you've done, but what Christ has done on your behalf. It is a gift given to you through grace, okay? Um, in Greek, the word, uh, go to the next slide. In Greek, the word for gift is doron. It means to give a, as, a, as a gift. Um, so in the Gospel of John, where we covered uh, last semester, um, there is a funny little phrase that's pretty, pretty powerful that should should clarify some things for us this morning. In the Gospel of John, it talks about 
um, Jesus is talking about his enemies and he's talking about those that are going to hand him over to be executed. And he has this funny little phrase. It says, they hated me as Doron. They hated me as a gift. They hate, or they hated me without cause. Meaning he was completely innocent and blameless and he was gifted an execution. Does that make sense? So you see the idea of a gift. And yet here, the imagery that Paul is playing and and flushing out for us is he's flipping it upside down. And it says, Jesus has about as much right to an execution as you and I do to be declared righteous. Jesus had about as much right to be gifted an execution as you and I do to be declared righteous. It's just, y'all, it's out of order. It's just out of order. And yet we receive this as a gift. Now, if you're like me, you know that nothing in life is free. I've sat through the timeshare things before. It's pretty dang costly. It's costly. Those things ain't free, man. There ain't no such thing as a free free meal. And so here's what I wanted to show you this morning. There are absolutely strings attached for you. There's absolutely strings attached to this gift. Now, let me ask you a question. Is this gift free? Is the gift of righteousness free? Well, it's free to you. You see, every gift that you give was bought by somebody. Even at Christmas time, when you receive gifts from people, um, you may receive a gift freely, but somebody had to go out and purchase that gift. So, there are strings attached. Although the gift of righteousness is free to us, came at a very high cost to somebody. He paid for my righteousness through his death. Now, absolutely. Now, the backside of that verse says, freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. Redemption is another one of these um, uh, big words that we hear about in church often, but that we may not have a lot of working knowledge about. What does it mean uh, for redemption. It means to buy up, um, to buy something up. How many of you have been to Chuck E. E. Cheese before, right? It's like, really? Really? None of y'all have been to Chuck E. Cheese? Y'all need to get out. Okay. Um, So my girls go crazy at Chuck E. Cheese. We give them the tokens. They go nuts. What do they do? They go buy, they do skee-ball, do all the games, do all the things. And then at the end of the day, which is like 10 minutes later because we were out of money, what do they do with all of those tickets? Where do they go? To the what counter? The redemption counter. And what happens at the redemption counter? They buy up all those tickets and they what? They receive a gift. What's the imagery here that uh, that we have been redeemed? It's that Christ has bought up all of us. He's bought up every last one of your sins. Every last thing was paid for. He, he grabs them and grab, and he buys them up and he pays for it with his own life. If you are walking around, I wish there weren't kids in here because I would let that go. But if you're walking around and you're kicking your own rear end, you don't understand the gospel. That was paid for. Stop it. You have been redeemed. He bought up that one too. Even that one that you think, oh, no way. If he really knew me, no. He bought up that one too. And he paid the highest price for it. He sent his son. 
to redeem you, to buy up every last bit of you. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture. And then it goes on, uh, this idea of redemption. If you translate that in a one-to-one in Greek, the word would be ransomed. And the idea of that is that we weren't just at Chuck E. Cheese playing around and we redeemed something, but the idea is that we've been ransomed, that we were in prison to ourselves, that we were enslaved to a me-centered, me-focused way of life. And God came in and he ransomed us. He bought us back. He opened the jail cell of this prisoned heart and he set us free. It's the idea that we have been ransomed. It's not that you've just been redeemed, but that you've been ransomed out of a life of slavery and he liberated us. And not just from the penalty of sin, but he crushes sin as ever being ruling and reigning in your life. That everything in your life now, because of the work of the cross, has been crushed. Do you feel that way about your habits? Do you feel that way about the stuff that you're stuck in? Do you feel that way that the weight of the cross paid for all of that? It's the gospel message. Now, amen. Now, if Christ was the payment, what was the currency used for our freedom? Notice that it wasn't a what it was, but who it was. All of us have blown it, and Jesus has ransomed us back to ourselves. And I want to show you, if you remember in chapter 1, Paul has this phrase. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, if the, good, if the gospel is such good news, why would he have any reason to be ashamed? Honestly, because it's offensive. Because it's offensive to know that we're stuck. That apart from myself, I'm, apart from Christ, I'm not okay. And I can't do anything about my stuckness. Like I can't earn this gift of righteousness, right? I can't say when I'm sitting down with Paul, well, Paul, I, I, I was baptized when I was eight. That surely bought me the gift of your righteousness. Or I, I went to church my whole life. I served. I've done all of these things. No, no, it's a gift that has been given to, to you. And the ATM that dispenses it is what? Let's look at verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice, right? And where did he present Christ as a sacrifice? On the cross. And on that cross, a death paid for my righteousness. And he's not just buying up all of my sins, but he's bringing me home and he's declaring me righteous and he's declaring me blameless now. Do you know anybody on earth that could ever pay for that? Because we needed somebody that was holy and blameless and unblemished. Is there anybody in the whole world ever like that? There's only one. And that is Jesus Christ. He says, no one comes to me but by the Father. There's only one way. And what happens next is what C.S. Lewis calls the great exchange. And two things happen. The unthinkable happens is that God dispenses all of his righteousness on top of us. That we were stuck and enslaved to ourselves and we were incapable of doing anything about it. And so he came on our behalf and gave us all of his 
righteousness. And then if you look over here, it says this, uh, and God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. This is the second thing that happens. What does atonement mean? Go to the next slide. Atonement means to bring back into harmony. You and I were created and designed as Mackie. Do you notice that I have the black chairs and don't have the green chairs? Mackie's a lot stronger than me, but he's a lot stronger than me. But you and I are designed for this, right? This, this is what most of us do. We turn around and God comes and chases after us and sits in front of us. This is, this is what atonement means, to bring us back into right relationship. And why? Because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? That is absolutely true. And in week one, our... I guess it was week one, we talked about um, that God is never neutral when it comes to sin. And that we don't like to think about God as a judge oftentimes because we know judgmental people and most of them are hyper-religious. And it doesn't feel very good to be judged by people. But we, I ask you to pause and consider because actually being you and I crave judgment. God forbid something ever happened to one of my girls and they caught the person that did it and we had our day in court, we would be in up in arms if the judge said, well, I'm just going to remain neutral in this. I don't want to be too judgy. All of us would lose it. No, there has to be justice. There has to be uh, justice doled out on the circumstance. It's what it requires. And that goes for us too, that my rebellious heart My wandering heart, this dry and dusty heart of mine has to be dealt with. It has to be atoned for. And what happens on the cross is I'm betting everything. I'm betting my, it's this, if you've, sorry for this analogy, but have you ever played roulette before? We're like at the casino and they have like 36 numbers and you can bet on all of the numbers. It's like you've taken your whole life and betting it on one thing. You're betting your life on not just a thing, but you're betting your life on a person. And he, through faith, declares you righteous before him. And look at what it says. All of this is received by faith. It is not about you or your ability or your morality or how well you perform or how well you don't perform. All of this is received by a gift. And let me be real honest. If at any time we're sitting, not with Paul, but we're sitting face to face with God and he asks us about our relationship with him, do you realize how just painful it would be for us to say something like this? Yeah, I tried to do all the right things. I, I, I even was generous with my money at times. I was baptized when I was little. I went to church like twice a month. That's pretty good, right? I've done all of the right things. He paid such a higher price than just our performance and our ability to do good things, which Paul actually tells us it's rubbish, y'all. All of our good deeds are rubbish. The reason this relationship works, the reason that, Let's be honest, there's, there's intimacy between me and him. It's because I should be able to say this. I know who I was. I know where I was headed. 
Now it's stuck right in the middle of my own selfishness. And not because of anything that I've done or could ever achieve, but because of the work of the cross. I have been declared righteous because you said so. That's why I have a relationship with you. Because you and you alone said it would be. Right? How powerful is that? It's just powerful and we, we miss, we, we, just, we just miss it. Not just forgiven, declared righteous as a gift that is freely given to everybody. Listen, I imagine there are a whole lot of us in this room that probably struggle in one of a couple ways. The first way is, as we looked at what it means to be justified, is that we really struggle with the idea of a loving God forgiving us. That if God really searched me and he really knew me, there is no way that he would ever forgive that. That that part of me is just tucked away and it's private. And I've been carrying it around for a really long time. And I just know, if he really knew me, there's no way. There's no way. There's just no way. And we walk around with this dark cloud of, man, I got to do a little bit better. I got to perform a little bit, perform more than I have been. I got to toe the line. I got to keep achieving. Friends, I just want to tell you, you don't understand the gospel then. He has redeemed you. He has bought up every last one of them. He has atoned. His death was our atonement. It brought us back into right relationship. It is not even an issue of forgiveness anymore. If you're walking around still feeling unforgiven, the cross was the proof. It's all been paid for. Uh, I... I imagine that there's a lot of us that may, we, you may have been around church a long time and you may kind of get some of that. But the idea of God declaring you righteous, that's like foreign. Y'all listen. Forgiveness is good. It is good. But righteousness, that you are holy and blameless before God, that when God looks at you, he's pleased. That he's like, where, where, where is it? I, I, don't even see, I don't even see your sin anymore. That there is a verdict spoken over your life. And that verdict is, you have been declared righteous, brother. You are holy and blameless. And let me be real honest. A lot of us need to own that this morning. A whole heck of a lot of us need to say, yes, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And now I have the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ living inside of me. That is good news. Paul pleads with the reader this morning. He pleads with us in chapter three. This is what the gospel is. You are justified by faith in Christ and faith alone. It's not about you. You're really not even part of the equation. 
It's what has been done on your behalf. And how do you receive this gift? Paul says over and over and over in the scriptures. Y'all, it's by faith, not by works. It's just by faith saying, I'm bankrupt. I'm bankrupt. I'm empty. And I'm betting it all on you. I'm betting it all on you. That is, friends, the doctrine of justification by faith. And that's an invitation for you to come and re-experience maybe the gospel for the very first time. Forgiven, declared righteous before God.